Let's pray. Lord, we've been talking to you in song. Truthful words. Rightful thoughts. May your spirit use your word tonight to just make those truths bold and pregnant in our life. May we, we want those things. I, I genuinely believe many, many who sang just now want that. I, I want that. But my affection goes so many places. And I get distracted. So I pray that uh, you would just use this truth we look at from your book that you gave us supernaturally uh, to set our feet in the right direction, set our eyes on the target, and that we would, by you, be built one more piece that is needed for the next step you had before us as people, as pastors, as servants, as churches. And uh, really, so that we would go home and live out this simple message that we give tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So, this morning, for those who are staff and slave like crazy for us, and don't get to be at everything, we talked about how Christ, He is preeminent. And He's preeminent because He's firstborn over all creation, and there is nothing that came before Him. He made all things, and everything that He made, all of us, are made for Him. That's what gives us our standing, our value, our vision, our mission, however you want to say it. It's our very identity, if we are in Christ, that Christ made us and we are for Him. And He says that in yet a second way in that section, because He is head of the church. And if we are in Him, then we're part of His church. He's our head, and we're supposed to just work straight out of that for Him. And so I want to ask you, as we run into this message, just for a minute, you know, that's my life. When I was in fifth grade, and I was at a camp. See, camp has touched my life in so many ways. God uses it, and I'm telling you that so that you don't think that the decision you might make this week as you walk with Jesus, that it is some kind of campified decision that isn't real. That's not true. Okay, I came to know Christ at home, as I shared earlier, but when I was at camp in fifth grade, just going to regular camp, my dad was on staff at a couple different camps at different times, as he went to Bible college later in life, and we were there, and I knew in fifth grade, my life is God's. I didn't know what that was going to look like, but I just knew, because I was his servant, that there is no way I could live for me. And so every time I deviated from that trouble, you know, it doesn't work. And I did deviate from that. I told you, I thought church was bogus, working at camp, going to Cedarville University, studying to be a history teacher, all the while knowing that I need to be a pastor. And no one was bugging me about it except Jesus. <laughs> and uh, I'm working at camp, and the camp director, he's pretty wise, he said, John, I want you to lead the work staff, I want you to teach them all the time. And so I let all the male work staff, lived with them ate with them. I won't even tell you all the things we did together, right? And But we studied God's Word together. And our camp hadn't done that before. We'd study God's Word together every day in that cabin as staff. And I knew, even though I had two years into college, I just knew 
I have got to go back. I've got to be back on that path. I have to be surrendered. Why? Because God made me, and I'm made for Him. And for you, that path may look different. It's the same from the standpoint we have the same mission, but we do that mission with all different kinds of talents, all different kinds of directions, so God pushes it all together. I have a partner in ministry, and he is a black belt, Six Sigma, value stream kind of guru guy. And God absolutely uses him from all that business direction to radically help churches be on fire for God and be intentional in what they do. And, and, and it, he's a business person. Some of you, God intends to be doctors. Some of you, like my friend Bo, should be garbage men. Bo just abs that's not funny. My friend Bo kills it as a garbage man, I'm telling you. And he has been used of God. I'm going to tell a little bit of his story tonight. He's used of God, absolutely locked in, helping men change in our little town. I, it's, it's really irrelevant what you do as long as it's what God wants you to do using the talents that God has given to you so that it comes out on mission, all of us working together. Because he's gifted us all differently. He's given talents all differently. And he, his, I mean, this, he made us for him. And let me tell you, as surely as he knows how to put creation together, that you could have a splendid day today. I mean, was it beautiful? What? As surely as he knows how to put all that together, he knows how to put all of us together on mission. Now, he did that not because he thought, man, you are really smart, so I'm going to put you on mission. No, you might be. But that's not why he did that. Why, how does this happen? It happens, as we've already studied in these chapters, because he's, in, he's God and he's in charge, and you sang it tonight. He has taken us, those who have faith, and if you have faith, you have love. He says those who have real faith that stands up, that stays, that's real faith, it produces love, produces fruit. You are the people that he has taken from the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. And he has orchestrated that we are walking this path, that we are holy and blameless before him. And frankly, if we're blameless and holy before him, no one else can touch us either. That's God's work. Now, some of you, I just blew past where you are because you're still sitting here going, I don't know. And that's okay. I like honesty. I want you to keep asking that question. I don't know. And I'm not sure. And how do I solve this? Okay, just keep asking those questions. Uh, listen to these truths. And I, I, would, I just beg of you, hang with me tonight and ask yourself, does your system fit together this tightly, this boldly, this cosmically, this eternally, okay, from the beginning of time all the way through here to eternity, what I'm telling you fits all together. And I just challenge you, does your system fit like that? And you may say, oh, I don't want to think about it. I, I, I pity you if you're there. That's like walking into the unknown. We had a family from our church very in a very generous way. They loaned us their cabin up north. You see, you have to go north to go on vacation. I don't know how this is. Okay? So we live in Wisconsin. I mean, my backyard is vacation. You know what I'm saying? There's bald eagles land in, my, in the trees on my property. I mean, it's vacation. But we go north to do that. So we went as a staff to this cabin. 
And, of course, we're working hard Wednesday night. want to make a lot happen as staff and wives. And so we sneak in, and none of us have been to this cabin that they told us about. It's way up north. There's no lights. There's no people. You can forget about Wi-Fi. You know what I'm saying? And, but it's beautiful. And we pull into this cabin. We find our way to the door that has no light. We get in the cabin. It's beautiful. Walk in. And I go to the sliding glass door on the back of the cabin. And I open the door, and I think, really should probably turn a light on before I step out the door. I don't even know what made me think of it. I flicked. I couldn't find any lights. For some reason, I just held back. And, uh, and we didn't have cell phones. We had flip phones. They don't really have a good flashlight. It was a while ago, okay? And I uh, got a flashlight, looked, and it was two stories to the ground. I told the story to the people who owned it, and the lady just starts going white because she's like, we didn't tell them. We didn't do the deck yet. You know what I mean? <laughs> but see, that's what it's like living where you are if you're not willing to ask these questions. You threw open the door, and let me tell you, it's darkness in front of you. And if you step out of there, you have no idea. Because if you're not thinking, you have no idea. And I'll tell you this, you can think with all your might, and you just might be deceived. And some of you as Christians are not engaged either, and when you're not engaged, you are susceptible to deception. And deception is a word I hate, because if you say, I'm not deceived, how do you know? Because deceived people don't know. That's the point of the word, right? And so you have to ask yourself, am I going to engage, or am I stepping off into who knows where? And when it's stepping off into eternity, I'd much rather step out of that sliding glass door. So, engage, think. And this lesson's really for believers. But for those who haven't believed yet, you're going to see how it comprehensively fits together. And I think it will beckon your soul because that's image of God's stuff that the whole thing fits together. And all of us are made in His image and it beckons you to consider it. So let's get at it and look at it. Some of you have been working out how to study a bit. And so if you were working out how to study, you could look at this section in Colossians 1, 24 through 2, 5. And you would see a repetition of a simple little phrase called, for you. It happens three times. A little section, verse 24, 25, for you. You'll find it in verse 24. You find it at the end of verse 25, begins a new section, for you. He's highlighting ideas. It's all tied together pretty tightly. And then if you keep going in the same section... Um, a little further down in chapter 2, um, you're going to see the same idea of for you in verse 1. So he just kind of uses that thing, because they would read this letter out loud, and they'd hear that for you and think, oh, there's an idea, oh, there's an idea, oh, there's an idea, and it all fits together. Now this section is hard. Not as hard as tomorrow morning from an intellectual standpoint. Intellectually, it's fairly easy. But it's hard because the content's like, whoa. But it's the stuff that's got to be answered. Or I can't follow God. And God's not afraid of that. He answers it. And he puts these four U's, but in, every, in the two, the first one and the last one, he finishes those sections with a word called rejoicing. Isn't that great? He's going to teach something hard, and he's going to tell you how you can rejoice in the hard. And that word rejoice is really the same root as the word thanksgiving. So if you work in your way, study and reading Colossians, keep circling that idea of rejoice and thanksgiving, give thanks, just keep circling that because that theme just stays there. Because when we're rejoicing, which means we have a thankful heart and now we're on action on it, okay? So I have a thankful heart. My action is rejoice. As I rejoice 
It proves, um, what I'm saying is, I agree with God. I agree with God and it is good. That's what I'm saying. That's why we don't sin when we're thankful. Because when I'm thankful, I'm just, yep, God, you're right. I'm good with it. And we stay right where we belong. So these four idea, or three ideas, let's look at them. The first one, he says, I now rejoice, verse 24, Paul's talking, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you. I, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, for you. Can you do that? Yeah, for you. So now look at them and say, I can't wait to suffer for you. Tell them. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Now that's a lot longer sentence than I said. What's going on? Okay, so for you. This way you should look at this passage. Now this passage is certainly biographical, okay? I'm not trying to misuse the text. It's Paul telling them what he is and what he's doing for the church of Colossae. But make no mistake, the things that he lays down that are a part of his life are the things that we're supposed to be. He calls himself diakonos, or minister. He doesn't call himself apostle in this section, because we are to be servants. Okay? That's just a standard thing for God's people, or God's servants. And so he looks at these people, and he says, I now rejoice. He's like, <laughs> just, there's just this privilege, this contentment with God. He says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And remember, he's in prison. Because he's been sharing the gospel. You say, wait a minute, how does that do with Colossae? Well, he is doing this so that they would know that God's gospel is the real deal. I think sometimes we've kind of backed off so hard as a church, as God's church in America, that, that we don't really exhibit much suffering. Maybe some whining, but not a lot of suffering. And I think the world around us goes, What's the big deal with that stuff? I mean, how do we know that's got real grit and real go? I mean, they're not in it no matter what. They're kind of doing life next to us. Not Paul. He said, man, I'm rejoicing that I'm suffering. And he understood that his suffering, and he was in prison, make no mistake, because he had shared the gospel. So it's a tight kind of thing to Jesus. And he says, I'm sharing the gospel and I'm suffering and it's for you because it benefits them as church. And they know him so it definitely benefits and connects to them. And he says in this suffering, the end of, or middle of verse 24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. That is a bold statement. He says, Jesus, I mean, Jesus, we just sang about it. He died on the cross for us. The sins of the whole world put upon him. Forsaken by the Father. I mean, anguish and hurt at the disgust of the nastiness of earth like we can't comprehend because we were never perfectly pure like him. Never perfectly one in the Godhead. Oh my goodness. And Paul says his suffering fills out the afflictions of Christ. This is how, at very base level. See, Paul, John says it, Paul says it later in this very chapter. He says, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I mean, that's called being inextricably linked. Okay? They are together. 
And so when Paul suffers on behalf of Christ, Christ is in him going, I hurt with you. That's why he knew I was never forsaken, and I'm never alone. I say this at our church all the time. Jesus and me living in the we. Right? I'm just always together with him. I am never alone. I died, John Jenks is gone, and now I live in Jesus. It's Jesus and me living in the we. Everything else can go away. It doesn't matter. I'm in him, he and me. And when we do and live this way, and if I perchance suffer, and I'm not sure I've suffered like Paul, when I suffer, it fills out the affliction of Jesus because he takes my affliction on. And he cares about those sufferings. And he walks through those very sufferings. And it just gets added to him. So don't ever say Jesus does not understand your suffering as a believer. Because he is a part of every one of your moments. He's a part of my moment, your moment, each moment in this room and beyond. That is cataclysmic size suffering that he is filling out so that you know there is something spectacular in heaven. So look to the future. Because if he died to release all of that and to change all of that groaning, because I'm telling you, some of you have groaned like I will never groan. Some of you have hurt like I will never understand hurt. And you say, yeah, but it wasn't because I was preaching the gospel. Understand this, the gospel, if it has made you alive, you are part of the gospel story. And you're suffering, though it may be from your sin, though it may be because someone has sinned against you, it doesn't matter. If your story is linked to Jesus... He is buying up your suffering from before your salvation. He's in your suffering tightly during your salvation, okay? Your saved part of your life. All of it is a part of the gospel story in you. None of it wasted. He says, I rejoice. And I, this is for the sake of his body, which is the church. That's what it's for. Paul says, and I'm a, I'm a servant to that church. And as a servant... I suffer. He says, I suffer for you. Let me ask you, how have you suffered? I'm sure you have. God constructs difficult stories called our lives. He does it so that the greatness of his sufficiency can be seen in you for the church's benefit. Uh, as a pastor, I, I could stand here all night and recount sufferings I have walked through my church. Your pastor could do the same. Your friends could do the same. Some of you need to speak of your suffering tonight to your cabin. And maybe for the first time, rejoice in your suffering. Knowing that it had purpose. You say, but my family, they, they just slay me. They're awful to me. I'm telling you what, I did not know a family that had that as its predominance. I have no idea. And I will never experience that like some of you have and are. Let me tell you, I've cried with many people like you. Because it's painful. And that pain only can turn to a thankfulness that has joy when we understand Jesus is in that with me. And He is making something out of that that the world cannot fix concerning suffering. No one else can fix this. It makes no sense. It's just random chaos, hopelessness, and that takes you nowhere. I'm telling you, Paul's helping us define this. Some of you face suffering because you're rejected for Jesus. Does that happen to you? People that won't have you over because you want to walk holy. They won't hang out with you. They may even be in your youth group. Happens. I got kicked out of my 
apartment my senior year of college because I wouldn't watch the movies that were being watched and I wouldn't hang out the way they hung out. I just kind of avoided it and that made them, I think it made them feel guilty. That's what they confessed at the end of the year. And they kicked me out and I had no place to go. I said, end of the semester, you're gone. I'm like, I wasn't condemning them. I didn't say a word. I just, I couldn't do that. Rejection. It's okay. Right? Jesus and me. He used that suffering to shape me. I mean, this, this is all kinds of stuff. And, and let's rejoice in it. And let me tell you, I met a whole family, kind of got adopted in, crazy gifts and help. And it's a whole story, I just leave it. But God, he, he just makes good on those things often right now. Loneliness. I struggled with loneliness as a pastor for a long time. Sometimes when you're trying to lead or you're trying to help your youth group as teens, you're going to feel all alone. You're going to feel like there's no other teen that cares like I care. And it may actually be true. And that's hard. It doesn't feel good. And there's a suffering to that. And I'm telling you, rejoice in that because Jesus is in that very place with you. You saw it in the skit. Peter rejected him. Didn't get it. Right? He's right there with you. Your past is the suffering. You say, I caused most of that trouble. I have friends like that. Bo's like that, that I mentioned. Bo uh, came to our church. He'd already accepted Christ, had a wife with him. As soon as they had a baby, she was like, I don't, can't do baby in church. They stayed home. Bo didn't lead, didn't guide spiritually, didn't get plugged in, didn't do the things that God would call a man to do. And pretty soon... She is accusing him of all kinds of things, and he spends 18 months in jail and never sees the courtroom. The assistant DA got fired for it, and uh, he, was, he was acquitted. Matter of fact, it never went to trial. Instead, they said he is declared innocent without prejudice because all the facts were that she had just totally lied. But they wouldn't put her in jail because then he could sue the county and, well, who knows what he'd win. And I told Bo, don't sue the county. You might need their help later. Instead, celebrate what God has done. He read, and let me tell you, he was not a good husband. He wasn't sinning and doing illegal things. Well, he was sinning. He wasn't doing illegal things, but he wasn't a good husband. So he sat in jail. He goes, I wasn't a good husband. And he would look at me, and we had no idea how long. He said, if, this, if God put me here because I need to wake up and pay attention, I'm good with that. He read the Bible five times in 18 months. He had notebook after notebook. I'd come in and try and encourage him with verses, and he'd finish every verse I said. I'm like, why am I here? You know what I mean? Like, seriously, he knows the Bible better than me right now as far as, like, at his fingertips, you know? And, he would, and I'd come in, and he's smiling. He had hard days. Make no mistake. That's an awful place to be in jail. They don't even let you exercise in jail. You know, it's not like prison. It's tough. God took care of him. He had a $50,000 law bill when he got out. Hadn't worked for a year and a half. Couldn't see his kids. Hardship after hardship after hardship. He just trusted God. And someone, I think it was the county, someone paid his law fees off. Miraculously, they just went away. And he came in, he goes, look what God did, right? Took two years before he could see his kids. You know how painful that is for a dad? Year and a half plus two years. It was brutal. It's brutal, and he didn't get bitter. He said, you know what? I'm just going to follow God. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to rejoice. And he is, he is, <laughs> let me tell you, the men he disciples, they can't argue with him on anything. 
Does he just tell them, suck it up, cupcake? No, he doesn't do that. He's nicer than me. <laughs> but, but he could, okay? Instead, his story, he doesn't even have to say anything. They just look at him like, oh, yeah, probably should just go be nice to my wife. I mean, you know, their life is so much simpler, and suffering all of a sudden looks different. I make, I make no light of your suffering. I'm telling you, some of you physically suffer. God has allowed you to have ailment, and if you do that in Christ, with Christ, with rejoicing, I'm telling you what, you add, as Paul says, what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. If you share his gospel out of that, you live his gospel out of that, that is a beautiful thing. Matter of fact, I, I would submit to you that when God lets you have those hardships, you have more opportunity to demonstrate the gospel than those who are healthy. You have a bigger opportunity to be exactly what God made you to be. And that's a hard thing to embrace. And you may want to talk about that with your counselor and, and work this passage. i got to move. Two more things. Message is simple. Second thing, suffer with rejoicing. Second thing, we're a steward. Paul says, I'm a servant. And here's what a servant does. He fulfills the word. This is cosmic. Okay? He, uh, he fulfills the word. The word that came that said there was going to be a Messiah. And that the Messiah was going to reach Gentiles. That was all in the Old Testament, okay? The fact that Messiah is way back in the garden, right as the world begins, basically. And it follows all the way through the Old Testament. And you can go back and just watch and look for it. And this, it's a mystery, because they didn't know exactly what Jesus would be like. They didn't understand everything. But you can look back from our vantage point and see, oh my goodness, like Psalm 22, right? That's the cross. You could, you could kind of see it, but you would never know it until you get over here and you're like, whoa! Look at that. And obviously, I mean, it's the whole of the Old Testament. And we're living that. You know, most of the ages were lived before the things were clear. But when Christ came, the mystery or that which wasn't clear came wide open. So now for 2,000 years, we're actually part of living out what God wrote down. And I love, and that's a whole other message, but I love how people resist that. And they try and, like, do and be against God, you know? And they end up fulfilling what he says they would do. It's kind of spectacular. And that's what he said, we're just stewards. We're just God's servants being handed this responsibility. Stewardship's just a responsibility to do these things, to fulfill the word and to make known. I mean, this is our stewardship. So if you're going to take one thing away that you need to do tonight, in your suffering, wherever God has placed you, however he has made you, it is to make known, look at verse the middle of the verse 27, or excuse me, the end of it. To make known Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's it. Now we just sang, the last song we sang had these kind of ideas in it. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, if you, if you have sickness or you have suffering, you know, in our life, my wife and I, and I've told this here before, we've been stalked for over 10 years by a lady. She's been in and out of uh, psychiatric hospitals, and it's, it's difficult. She's threatened to kill my wife on multiple occasions. And it's just not a comfortable thing to pastor and live in that community in some ways. You know, each one of us, we have something that God calls us to. And he says, but in that, in that suffering, the main point is to steward whatever he gives us. The suffering the opportunities to do one thing, Christ in us, hope that is eternal. It's to God's glory. And that's why we rejoice. So wherever you go, show his hope in you. 
because of what he's given you in the gospel. And he says, Paul says, I do this as a steward and I preach or proclaim. You need to proclaim to each other. It's not just standing here. Preaching can be used, that word, of me standing next to you or you standing next to me saying, this needs to happen. Christ is foremost. Your eyes need to be on him. I mean, those statements, Paul says, him we preach, verse 28. Warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom, because Christ is that wisdom, that we may present every man fully aged. You read the word perfect, but that's what it means. And I'm from Wisconsin, so we'll use cheese. I'm telling you, I moved to Wisconsin, and Wisconsin people, they're a little strange, okay? Can I get an amen? It's true. I mean, they eat cheese turds. I mean, cheese curds. I don't understand that. I mean, I kind of get it when you fry them, because anything fried is good, all right? But, like, why would I eat cheese that is not yet spectacular? I don't get that. Like, go press that stuff in a wooden box and forget about it for a while. Make sure it grows green stuff around the edges, then bring it back out, and I'm interested. Because now that cheddar is going to go, wow, when I eat it. You know what I mean? You're not from Wisconsin. Bad illustration. All right. Let's put it this way, okay? Christ says our job, part of our stewardship, is to preach and warn and work the gospel in each other such that we are fully aged, that we come to a spot where we are, that theological word. Wow! Look what God is doing. That's what we're supposed to do. Last point. Be a steward by fulfilling the word, knowing Christ is in you, I, I hesitate. I, I went too fast. I, I got to say this. If Christ is in you, where does he go with you? It's pretty simple, isn't it? So he was on the volleyball court. That used to be a problem for me. Anything with a net created anger. I, it's not funny. I had to put away tennis, basketball, and volleyball because I had no friends after I played because they were all wrong, you know. Or something would happen, I'd break something, whatever. I had to put it away because Christ, I, I was denying Christ in me. Hope. My hope was winning. <laughs> no way. It's Christ in me. Does Christ go with you in front of the computer? Oh, you don't do that anymore. In front of the phone? You know? Facebook? You don't do that anymore. Snapchat? Wherever you're going. Instagram? Right? You all have your new things. Old people can't keep up at all. Let's just face it. But, but Christ is with you. He's with you with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend. He's with you when you're screaming at your mother. And I don't think he intends in this verse to be with you in those settings in those kind of ways. I think he rather would have grief when we take him those places. For me, it's when I take him and I go pig out. He's just saying, no. No. Because that's, that's not what he wants me to do with his body. Right? I mean, this goes lots of directions. Christ in you. The hope of glory. An eternal thing. Last. Steadfastness. He's calling to you. And so you need to look at your neighbor. To you. Or for you, I will be steadfast. Say it, and that's all you say. Ready? Yeah, for you, to you. That's a little long. 
For you, I will be steadfast. That's what Paul's saying. He said, I'm steadfast because I want you to be steadfast. Paul's enduring in prison. He's not quitting. So we're suffering, we're doing our stewardship, and we're doing it long, and we're doing it hard, and we're doing steadfastness for you or together. And it has to be done together. I mean, that's the rare person who can be steadfast by themselves. I read a book this year, phenomenal book, about a a test team that was, during World War II, flying a uh, uh, B-24 in the Arctic Circle. 81 days below zero, one man survives. Crazy. Falls in by himself, left his gloves in the plane because the plane was doing like this. You know what I mean? And gloves seemed optional when you need to get out of it. All he had was his parachute, and he survived. 81 days. I'm telling you what. I'm dead day three. I'm just, you know, I'm just thinking. But if I had somebody with me, 10 days. <laughs> Maybe 20. I'll probably eat them. No, I'm kidding. We should, I shouldn't distract you. Um, <laughs> you're worried now, aren't you? That's not the kind of steadfastness we're talking about here. Look at what it really says, okay? Steadfast to encourage what? To encourage love. Isn't that what he says? He says that their hearts may be encouraged, verse 2, being knit together in love. This is hilarious to me because um, I have a friend that today, he's a, he's a partner with me in ministry, a guy that um, he works as a chemist at a, a chemical factory near our town for the paper industry. He's a young guy, a couple little kids. And uh, I mean, he... He writes me today, and there, he's never said this. He's, yeah, he accidentally called me, so, and he said, oops, sorry, on the text, you know. I said, no, no oops. This means you have to pray for me, which I had already sent him an email about that. <laughs> he said, this means you definitely need to pray for me tonight. And he writes back, and he goes, I love you, John. You say, that's weird. No. I mean, this guy's, this guy's a manly man. I'm telling you what. He's shot some of the biggest deer I've ever seen. And if you met him, you'd think, he said that to you? Oh, yeah, he said that to you. Because our hearts are knit together. You know why I said that? Because he wants to be pushed. He wants to be engaged in the mission. And people that are steadfast together engage. You say, why in the world do you have Gandhi up there? I don't think he was a Christian. No, he definitely was not a Christian. Let me tell you, he knew how to be steadfast. I mean, he did hunger strikes over 20 days long. I went 20 hours once. <laughs> Seriously, right? Now I've gone a little longer than that. I've gotten serious with God a few times. But he's steadfast, and he doesn't even know Jesus. That's why I put him there. I have great respect for the man. I don't believe barely anything he thinks that he thought. But I have respect because he knows steadfastness. And if he knows steadfastness to this level, what kind of steadfastness should you be able to produce because of the power of Christ in you? Right? You should be walking up to your youth pastor and saying, let's do this thing called the next year. And, and every month walk up to him. We're on this. Right? We're doing this. That your hearts be knit together in love. That you'd be like my friend, Nate, who says, I love you, John. Do this. I'm with you. I guarantee you he prayed for you a bunch today. That's the kind of guy he is. He would just take that messages from God. And he's knit, and he's going to do this. To encourage that kind of love, 
he says, to encourage understanding and knowledge in the mystery of Christ. I mean, that's what we're doing here. That's what you're stirring up with each other. He says, we do this. And why do we do this? To protect from deception. Now, this I say, verse 4, lest anyone should deceive you with perva- persuasive words. Some of the most deceptive words I've ever heard were in church, not in the world. Because if you go home and you say, I am, I am willing to suffer. And some of you, I'm already there, and you say, I'm going to carry this suffering with rejoicing. And you say, and my mission is that the word would be known, that the gospel would be seen. And you go after that with steadfastness and, and with intensity. There will be some adults who go, now, now, now. Adults at church. Now, now, you're, you're kind of a teen. You probably don't have the full perspective of how very difficult life can be. You need to soften it a little bit. It's deception. It's deception. And, and you may need to soften how you say things, but you should not soften the intensity of living the truth in your life. Don't soften the rejoicing. Just don't do it. Look at Jesus Christ and know, sufficient for what I have. Enough. I'm complete in Him. Hope of glory in me. I told this story at family camp here. We have a couple at our church. They grew up in the Kansas City area. He became a pastor. Did some immoral things with children. Obviously, out of the ministry, his life went to prison. His life spiraled. He ends up on the street doing crack. Meets his future wife there. She's from a Christian home out of a church like one of yours. She's living on the street, gaining money in all the ways that are nasty, and doing crack with him. That was their life. They both knew who Christ was. I'm convinced, actually, they were both actually saved. Because that can be you. You can know everything we've said tonight and end up right there. And God, because He is so merciful, He reached down and grabbed them, pulled them out of there, gave them enough sense to move far away. So they went to the end of the earth called Wisconsin Rapids. They have family in the town next to them. The family hates them. His family. I mean, he's a child molester. Dig into God's word. Ask for help. I actually spent precious little time with them. I just said a few things here, a few things there. They stayed steady at church. They were clean, except for one episode about three years in that lasted a weekend. They're absolutely clean. Let me tell you, but their lifestyle wrecked them. This guy, he knew Greek and Hebrew. And it was all gone. She absolutely, because of the damage of taking drugs, she absolutely believes her husband's going to kill her. And you're like, why does she stay with him? Because she kind of knows that's probably her brain. But she can't differentiate between the two. This is how they came to us. She's trying to figure out how to live. You say, well, she needs to be on some medicine, or you know, he should be locked up, or this or that. You say all these things. I tell you, they started studying God's Word together, memorizing Scripture. He's memorized like three books of the Bible. And she is really slow on the memory work, but she's working with him. 
every day. They pray together every day. And some days she has to go through her rock-solid spiritual test to make sure she looks at her husband correctly. She's dizzy about half the time because of the damage. I mean, their life is suffering and takes hard work every day. But you know what? She's one of our advocates in counseling now, 15 years later. He just got uh, his ACBC certification. We had to actually ask if he could because he's on all the bad lists. They're like, yeah, as long as he never counsels children. Don't worry. He never goes downstairs. He stays in these three rooms when he's at church. That's it. And he told us that's what he's going to do, and he's never even come close to something different. Why? Because he's been changed by Jesus Christ, and he's disciplined by Jesus Christ. He teaches adult Sunday school almost every week, and God gave him his Greek and Hebrew back about two years into the process. Isn't God cool? And he's just after it. But it takes steadfastness. It takes people that walk next to them knit in love, saying, think right. You're still thinking right. Stay after it. Do not quit. Now he's helping men. That's who he counsels. Helping men get out of pornography. Helping men get out of drugs. This is what God intends from us. I've, I've shot really high with you. I need to quit. I've shot really high and said you could go home and plant a church. I fully believe that. I don't think it'll happen in a week. But I think it can happen. I think some of you need to be talking about it right now, you young men and some of you ladies, and say, we could do, God would do this. Why wouldn't God do this in us? But let's back up just a little bit and do the building blocks, and let's, let's have you look at your neighbor and say, for you. You say that? For you. I will steward this truth. For you, I will suffer. I will disciple and work at this with you. Now, we said that so that you'd think about it. But I actually want you to go out of here. Well, actually, I'm wrong. You stop. Bow your head. If I had my notes in front of me, I'd keep this straight. Bow your head. And I want you to think about this. And, and brother, if you'd come, you can just start playing whatever you think is right. <laughs>